Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. My name is Michael Bailey. It's lovely to be here. I'm Norwich City correspondent for The Athletic and I am standing in for Joe Devine this week, which is very exciting. I, I cannot wait. Uh, I am joined by the lovely John McKenzie. Hello, John. Hello. <laughs> They're hearing it in real, real life. It's wonderful. And also, uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor is here. Hello, Seb. Hello, Michael. You're in here in person. I am actually in London, yes. And not in Germany. That's not exciting. Germany. No, I am, I am actually in the UK. We've had a long debate about whether I should ask you about Gates. I say ask. You ask. say this, yes. This came down to whether you felt it in the moment. And like, it feels like because you're asking now, you're trying to hedge your bets a little bit. You've done exactly. a really good job of like distancing yourself. Yeah. 100%. Actually, You've kind of created a little bit of a like a win-win situation for yourself yeah. here. That's like, good, okay, good work. Good. No, I just yeah. hope they were okay when you left home. Um, <laughs> right. This week, we are going to talk about Bayern Munich. Are they struggling? Uh, international football last international break before the World Cup so that must be exciting right uh, we are also going to look forward to the Manchester and North London derbies two massive derbies in the space of days Napoli are flying high so we're going to talk about Napoli apparently there's no there's no Norwich City on this list but uh Maybe we'll rectify it. No, we're not going to talk about Norwich. That's fine. Uh, I tell you where you could read about Norwich, uh, providing someone does some work on them, which I should probably be doing now. Uh, you can read about them on The Athletic, along with lots of other football clubs across England and away from England a little bit <laughs> as well. You can also, uh, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can subscribe with a 30-day free trial. You just need to go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That is theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you could read, Seb, your very touching piece on the Riviere Derby, which I might have pronounced right. No, well, that's, that's very, very kind. If you're in the mood for reading stuff, I, I also have a, a recommendation, and that is to read our new book, which is going to be released on the 17th November it's being published by Penguin and you can pre-order it now at all good sort of book places Amazon Waterstones Penguin website very very good we think if nothing else it's worth it just for Alistair Vine's wonderful artwork it's absolutely beautiful and uh, please do go and buy it not you I'm, I'm saying please you go and buy it but I, I'm really I'm well, in the audience I mean I'm assuming it was my payment for doing this well like if, if we if it if it turns out that you haven't you know pre-ordered or bought a copy in say sort of three months time then we'll have a rethink about whether you're already welcoming our little <laughs> right. TIFO football space at the office. Well, let's move on uh, quickly. But uh, yes, indeed, go buy that book, which is good because I didn't even have that plug on here. It's so. also called How to Watch Football. I should have mentioned that in the first bit. How to Watch... The what was the title again? So I said... How to Watch Football. How to Watch Football. Yeah. Which I think we all need. So that is wonderful. Uh, right. At this point, I've, I've written jingly music. So I think there is some jingly music that goes in about here. My favourite jingly music. And we're going to start today by talking about Bayern Munich. They are fifth in the Bundesliga. It doesn't matter how early it is in the season. That's very low for a team that has always won the Bundesliga, I think. What is up with that, Seb? Are they, are they not as good anymore? They're not as good anymore. There's also, you'd think that Bayern not being good is a, a good thing and that people in, in Germany enjoy that. And to an extent they do. But then the realisation is that when they start to slip, you see the new cycle being dominated by Bayern Munich and by an increasingly sort of silly set of reports. Now we've reached the stage where Bayern Munich are kind of uh, the perma discussion on German Sky now uh, in German press and it's become increasingly granular. So we got to the point last week where there was an issue with Julian Nagelsmann's touchline attire, sort of various Bayern Munich legends and sort of mumblings about how, you know, does he dress properly? I know he's wearing Hugo Boss and Adidas and those club sponsors, but is he, you know, is he really dressing properly? Actually in, in terms of brands then, I mean. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And also uh, Nagelsmann didn't help himself because when they uh, most recently lost to Augsburg, 
1-0 the last Bundesliga match day inevitably the Lewandowski question came up because actually the, the best chance i got that one down here actually yeah well he reacted very badly <laughs> to it because uh, a plucky journalist in the press conference said you know would you I'm paraphrasing but would you have won that game if Lewandowski was still here and I had sympathy with him because he said well he's not is he what's the point what's the point in the question he's, he doesn't play here anymore and, and so it's got a bit tricky it got worse because the day after they lost to Augsburg Bayern Munich made their traditional visit to the uh, beginning of the Oktoberfest festival october fest festival i should have just done gone very german in october actually, I, I, yeah. I should have just october festivaled yeah, that, <laughs> that would have been the german thing to do um anyway obviously they were in their traditional attire and with the beer glasses and everything and they all look very very glum so you had this there's a, a couple of excellent photographs of nagelsman looking not particularly happy to be there oliver khan looking a little bit I mean, oliver khan always looks the same doesn't he really in, in most photographs the point is is that it's not quite working at the moment and there's a lot of different uh, discussions going on about why that is including Lewandowski. john and i've talked a little bit about underlying numbers which is quite an interesting part of this conversation but one other thing to say is that there's been a bit of criticism of nagelsman's management style and uh, led by Stefan Effenberg, which is, it's, it's a little bit of an irony. Stefan Effenberg, never the most, I mean, quite a controversial guy, very, very good player, former Bayern Munich captain, but wasn't always the most collegiate of professionals when he was playing. But he said basically, and I'm paraphrasing again, that these Bayern Munich players, they don't need to be taught, you know, new passing routines. They don't need to be taught new automatisms. They don't need, they don't need a, an ideologue trying to reteach them the game. Um, what they need is someone that's good with the kind of the interpersonal aspects of management. No coaching. Exactly that. Brilliant. It's kind of what he said. I, I don't, I, my German isn't good enough to, to tell whether he was being entirely serious or whether he was just being provocative. But it's, it's kind of, it's left a mark because that's been sort of repeated elsewhere and people have been talking about it. And now Nagelsmann's kind of having to, or will, when the Bundesliga restarts, kind of, is going to have to defend his, his sort of interpersonal uh, relations with players. And it's, it's a difficult situation. Well, there's that. And also, what's he going to be wearing? Uh, I mean, that, is sure. he going to you know, really mix it up? Uh, the expected numbers are good. John, I've, I've looked at them because yes. someone put them in the dock. <laughs> and so that yeah, helped. It was me. I mean, it's, it's tough to talk about, like, like, is a team doing better or worse than they were the season before over a really small sample size? So I'll say that as a caveat, but the numbers look better to me than, than they did last season when, when Robert Lewandowski was there. So uh, this season, Bayern Munich, obviously fifth in the league. But if you look at their expected goal difference, which is the difference between how much um, expected goal um, value they're generating versus how much expected goal value they value they're conceding. They're at plus eleven point four, which is very healthy. So over seven games, you're you're creating more than an expected goal uh, a game over your opponents on average. Last season, it was much lower than that. It was down at eight point one. I mean, it's much lower, but it's like it's three expected goals within seven games. It's a lot. So it's it's really hard to judge like where Bayern are at really. And obviously, a lot of people will will just look at the results table and and base their opinions on whether or not a team are doing well or not on that. But I think in this instance, Bayern have been good and have been unlucky to end up in fifth place. And actually, if you look at um, an expected points model, so I looked at the one on the stat because it's one that's freely available. Uh, there are others available. Um, and Bayern should be top of the league by about three points, according to this expected points model. Although expected points model is obviously taking the underlying numbers and then predicting how many points you would be likely to win from those games if you played it 10,000 times. Um, so obviously, if their underlying numbers are good, then they're obviously going to be more likely to have picked up more points. So obviously, there's a correlation there, but it does suggest that actually Bayern are not worthy of it. been really place. unlucky, John. There hasn't been, Michael, like an awful performance, one where you think this needs tearing down and we just need mm. to rebuild this. It's just not the case. It's just like bad moments against Stuttgart, isolated moments like from perhaps, so um, Delict's um, uh, mistake against Stuttgart came under scrutiny because he's cost mm. the club so much money and because he's Matthias de Ligt and because it's a talking point. If you take a couple of these moments out, you're left with, I don't know, maybe a slight grow. It's like, you know, growing into new clothes, isn't it? Because you've, you've completely reconfigured your attack and there's chemistry which needs building with some of these players and Sadio Mane's goal of streak has come under observation too. But still a very good rebound performance against Barcelona. The only question I have is the slightly strange situation, which I don't quite understand going on between Marcel Sabitzer and Leon Gretzka, not between the, the two people, just in the preference for Sabitzer in the midfield alongside Joshua Kimmich, which I just don't agree with. I, I think Gretzka is a footballer from a different world to Sabitzer. I think Sabitzer is a good player, but does he bring what Gretzka does? I don't know, unless I'm missing something. It's worth but, saying, I, I think that, that Nagelsmann has changed 
Yeah. Exactly. Like completely the style of play that Bayern have been playing. So last, it's, it's funny because when Nagelsmann was at Leipzig, he was playing a style of football that you would expect Bayern to be playing. And now he's gone to Bayern and now he's playing a style of football that you'd expect Leipzig to play. So he's moved to that more gegenpressing approach, the direct attacking, um, not necessarily having like a, a, a lone striker who is a focal point, but but sort of trying to move quickly through the middle with your with your team. So is that directly because Lewandowski's not there, do you think? I, I, I think partly. And I, I think, you know, Sabitzer is a player who has played for Leipzig. And so it sort of makes sense to bring in a player who knows that it's play trust, style. Right? It? Yeah. Um, but I, it does raise a lot of interesting questions insofar as, okay, if you look at the underlying numbers, they're doing, they're generating more expected goals now and they're conceding fewer expected goals than they were previously. In fact, the only, ironically, the only game where they put up less expected goal numbers than their opponent was against Barca, which they won in that game. So if you look at the number, it must be tough for, for Nagelsmann because you, you sit down and you say, let's look at the number, like the underlying numbers suggest that we made the right decision here. We are, we are playing in a way that is generating more chances and, and we're conceding fewer and, and in terms of value as well. Um, and yet in terms of the, the league positioning, it just looks like things aren't going well, right? So, th- but if they are creating all these chances and they, they have this XG and then it's obviously the obvious question, but then they don't have the striker who scored loads of goals because he went and then it, mm. as there's a narrative in Liverpool at the moment uh, I don't know if it's stretched beyond Liverpool but Sadio Mane you know is he struggling but is he struggling because Munich is struggling so maybe it's a question that gets asked a lot but are they missing Robert Lewandowski well I, I don't know whether it's quite the right question yes in one sense but also the way they're trying to score goals is different if you think about um, that it's, it's an attacking group now isn't it so Müller is obviously still there and while still a very good player I would say that Müller his level is a little bit down I think he would acknowledge that publicly I'm, I might have even done so but you had uh, Misiala in there Gnabry is in there and Leroy Sane is in there what Bayern try and do now is their chance creation seems to obviously like all attacks it depends on getting players into the right positions and, and creating the right chances but what you've taken away is a player who I think I've said it before but one of the, the best one touch finishes and you know close range finishes European football's ever seen and you're replacing it with this kind of hive of attacking activity which loads of really good players Messiala is absolutely diamond of a player I can't express how good a player is and how exciting it is to watch him what a shame it is that England won't you know, be able to, to pick him over the next decade. But you need chemistry, you need understandings, and you don't just get those within seven Bundesliga games and a Champions League tie. Added to which, like, the thing with Lewandowski, Lewandowski wanted to leave. You could argue that Bayern's handling of his contractual situation and handling of him as a person, you can argue about whether that was right or wrong. That's that's fine. But at the same time, what are you going to do? Because Bayern are not going to spend 100 million euros on a player. Like Their transfer record isn't anywhere near that. It's, I think, still 80 million for Hernandez. Well, I'm not sure if the actually costs more, but you get my point. So your only option was to restyle an attack around an entirely different sort of player. And you just have to be patient. And there'll be times when I've watched them, I've honestly thought, God, they're going to be better. I remember with that Leipzig game um, in the German Super Cup for about an hour, I just thought, Bundesliga over. This is terrifying. They're better. Obviously, that was premature. But at the same time, it's it's a measure of the fact that at the moment, they're kind of finding their gear, dropping out of it, finding their gear, dropping out of it. And it's just going to take some time. So check in with them, I think, in January, February and see where they are then. Like, it's a nice anecdote that they're the fifth in the Bundesliga. I don't think anybody is under any illusions that there is still an awful lot of power in Bayern Munich. 11 in a row is still on then. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, they have, they, they have done really well in the Champions League as well in fairness you, know, you look at it and go well yeah four games without a win in the Bundesliga which I've written here is it too easy for them you know if you were going to prioritise what you were going to do you would probably go well Champions League let's go through that tough group and away we go yeah and I think that's the question worth asking I mean Bayern as you've said have won 10 Bundesliga is in a row like if they don't win it, the point? is it the end of the world I, I think that the, the focus is going to be Champions League now and, and it is for the elite clubs and so I just would love to know the conversations they're having at Bayern Munich Towers right now where they're sitting down and they're like okay we're doing well in the Champions League if you look at the underlying numbers we're set well in the in the Bundesliga as well how much of this tearing up of the copybook and changing the tactical approach are they going to then look at that and say we are now in a better position than we were in previous seasons to win in the Champions League and okay yes there's a wobble in the in the Bundesliga but who cares if we if this puts us in a better position to actually win the Champions League then then it'll be worth it which is a, a weird position to be in I guess it's it's quite interesting to hear some of the commentary from inside the camp like so Thomas Miller inside um, Bayern Munich Tower yeah. which I'm Minnesota. still visualizing yeah. <laughs> it's, oh. it's like a fortress isn't yeah. it yeah it's yeah. beautiful um <laughs> it's 
So Thomas Muller spoke about what he described as sloppiness amongst his teammates, which is, I wouldn't say out of character because he has that in his locker, but I think most people sort of associate him with a sort of more jovial personality and like, he likes to joke with the media and stuff. There was another interesting moment when after that Barcelona game, which actually, strangely, I, I thought it was one of Bayern's worst performances of the season, um, strangely enough, because I thought they were battered. The first half, off. They, were. they got pressed into oblivion by Barcelona and they were very, very fortunate to be level. Anyway, after that game, I think it was Oliver Kahn said something along the lines of, yeah, no one's going to get complacent about this. The, the truth lies in the league table. So it's a funny one. And then he also, following that game, Nagelsmann rotated his team and not to any great effect. And Khan defended him and said, well, we've just got players that want to play and the coach did what he needed to do and get... So it's quite a complicated situation. It's quite interesting. I know that people have a go at the Bundesliga about plot lines and predictability and all that kind of stuff. But it is a really interesting moment when a team has actually dominated for so long and then a kind of period of reinvention is forced upon them, both managerially and in terms of personnel. Like what happens next is... Is, is fascinating actually because it also occurs within this glaring media spotlight. If you're Bayern Munich, you don't get to go and reinvent yourself on the sly, do you? Because in England, media focus is spread across the four Bayern Munichs that we have here. In Germany, there's one and it's total. And so everything that happens is covered in exhaustive detail. Um, and so that's really what's happening. And it's 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 interesting. I, I know not everybody agrees with me, but it's an interesting moment in their history. The four Bayern Munichs, interesting. The three Bayern Munichs. Oh, three. Three, like, I mean, I, I suppose- Who are you not including in that? Well, we, we, I, I, so, so both Manchester clubs, Chelsea and, oh God, I've got to be careful. Yeah, Liverpool, I, I, I'm hesitant because they're not all the same type of club, are they? But in terms of what they represent in, and their status within the game, I think that's a kind of a fair grouping. Ooh. Nailed, nailed his colours. Co- go to the comments. Yes, indeed. Look no. forward to reading those ones. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Bayern Munich have got Leverkusen and Dortmund coming up. So a couple of 5-0 wins. Sort that out. That'd be great. <laughs> I did want to spare a word for Union Berlin, which I'm pretty sure I haven't pronounced anywhere near how I should have done. Uh, because they didn't lose to Bayern and they are top. And we can give them a little bit of love here. This is a, a real genuine opportunity unless you don't think they deserve it and that's fine they, they do deserve it i, I actually I, sure? I got to go to union about 10 days ago and it's an amazing story like and and um, let me recommend kit holden's wonderful book about them about their um not just their promotion to bundesliga but their history it's absolutely fascinating it's a, it's a wonderful piece of work but i think what interests me about them is that yes they're top of the bundesliga but they're one of the few clubs in europe who are using uh, an old school front two Geraldo Becker is the, the speed merchant. He's a great finisher, but his movement is excellent. His work around Jordan Peefock, who is a US men's national team international. Uh, I spoke to some American fans about him and he's sort of on the cusp, but there's a bit of an argument apparently. Might be wrong, but some people think he should be starting, some don't. I couldn't be more impressed. He's included in the squad, is that Yeah, right? he, I, I have no idea. Like I, 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 it's Josh a- Sargent keeping him out of the US. <laughs> squad that's your Norwich bit Josh Sargent Thanks. Josh Sargent is playing well this season he I is believe. playing well this season uh, he's doing well uh, he's playing well in the championship mm. and um, looking awkward I, I feel like we've already <laughs> spoken too much about Josh Sargent carry on so Seb, please I think if you get the chance to watch them it's like watching like a typical English team from the early 90s you got your big man you got little man Becker's great player like he will go for a lot of money at some point no doubt but Peefock's really underrated like he if you go and see the goal he scored against Wolfsburg a diving header at the near post one of those sort of eyebrows headers where he glances it across the goalkeeper as a sort of a target man in not necessarily the old fashioned sense but like a more up to date like, you know because he's a pretty good goal scorer too um, it just works and that ground as well it's a very very special place and uh, do go and read Kit's book because it's um, it's it will fill in some of the context and describe some of the things about their journey which make Union's story special I think Geraldo Becker is one of the funnest names a to great name this season. great Becker. name that's beautiful yeah. it would fit in, in, fit in super quick <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the expression eyebrow headers it's the glance you know yeah, like you've lovely. got you've got the, you've got the header coming across so that goal it's Becker's assist really nice cross just like really well sort of shaped cross Jordan's made that run to the near post and it's got across this marker and he has to just direct it across the goalkeeper that was the winner as well fairly late winner. it was no no it was um it was goal one and a 2-0 win but it was brilliant right in front of the um the, the home ultras as well so it was huge, uh, hugely important eyebrows 
He's massive. In that case. Sat in Maybe front that of, helps. He, Traction? He is very, very... No, the eyebrow. The eyebrows oh, are sorry, normal size. The, eyebrows. Like, <laughs> the, no, the size is... Predator is, eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> Put yeah. a bit of extra spin on the ball. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's a lot of Bundesliga. Well done, everyone. Thanks. Yeah, we, we said half an hour. We've we, made like almost reached it. We so sustained that well. And yeah, I, I tried to keep control of it. We're on. We're uncontrollable. <laughs> look, at, look at us. The thing. The thing is, is that when when Joe needs to control us, he's quite blunt. He just goes, "I'm bored now. We're going to move on." Yeah, but I did notice that. And you, it's you nice not quite... having Joe on, to be honest. I, well, I feel... I... You know, he's quite antagonistic towards me. People have been noticing this in the comments, you know, is that I've had to fight back a little bit. It's quite nice just sitting you know, here feeling, feeling comfortable. Okay, I've just been like, yeah, let's have a chat like, with my pals. That's it. It's like, you know, um, you know when like a, a sort of a dragon lives above a village and all the villagers are too afraid to kind of go mm. outside. The dragon's gone and now we're all out in the street having okay. a little chat and, you know. It's opened up a space for creativity, <laughs> and, have we? <laughs> Collaboration. Is this the sort of talk everyone's enjoying listening to? I don't know. Help me. Oh, I've, st <laughs> I've still got the words, don't do a Joe Divine and impression ringing in my mind so i'm not i'm not I'm if not you were that. to do a joe divine impression though, which one would you go to you don't necessarily really have that. to do it but I'm like a, because when we were sorting this out uh, joe divine said that it, you know it might be difficult doing this podcast uh, you know in the presence because he could have been here mm, of a looming. literal podcast gods and they were they were his words i've got yeah. the message i heard him definitely saying yeah. that yeah yeah, yeah. whether then maybe he is i don't know let's not talk about that either let's um oh, well maybe we should let's talk about international football because i was very excited i was like international last international international break before the world cup this is this is crucial this is important even if people who don't like international breaks will like this international break now it's sort of halfway through and kind of on the side of everyone else really um but uh you know at least germany are faring better than bayern are they maybe not because they lost for the first time under Hansi flick yeah they they lost at home to hungary which is an experience hungary are good though now, yeah they've won that group i feel like I'm in a little bit of a, a, an awkward space here because England and Germany are playing this evening. We're recording on Monday and releasing on a Tuesday. This so maybe true. we'll defer this one, but neither look great. So I'm, I'm not sure quite what is at stake. Can, on, I have it. Can, we, can we write them off for the World Cup? England, Germany, too much to do. All over the place. Yep. No form. It's all, South, it's all about South America for me. Argentina look excellent. Oh, wow, we're going straight. Okay, yes. we can do that. We can do that. They, uh, I've written here because the real favourites, question mark, Brazil beat Ghana and Argentina beat Honduras. They are unbeaten for 34 games. It's Argentina. Yes, which is a long time. I don't know what it is in terms of how many international games it's you like play. It's like a decade of <laughs> football, year. isn't it? A decade <laughs> of football. I feel like, no, they wouldn't have missed any tournaments. If they'd have won every they? game on them being unbeaten, they would have won the World Cup. If it... Several times. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And obviously Lionel, and Lionel Messi <laughs> scored twice as well. So I, to me, obviously Argentina are going to win the World Cup and Messi will win the... Hey, Messi, Messi in that playmaker role is a problem. You know, for a long time, like his responsibility was goal scoring in ridiculous volume, as well as, you know, playmaking output too. Now he's kind of been released from that burden at PSG and that's translating a little bit at international level. And I know he scored a couple of goals uh, over the weekend or over the international break, but they, they're super dangerous and yeah, not bad. Like I think Lionel Scaloni only really got hired because he was cheap. So <laughs> it's not a bad situation to end up in. All, all things considered of course the big question is always is Lisandro Martinez too short for World Cup competition yes. that's, the, that's the one that is going to determine who wins I think well we can talk about him in a bit to work <laughs> out if he's too short for something else first and then get there I mean obviously Messi criminally underrated so maybe winning the World Cup would you'd maybe get Put a bit of extra yeah. traction yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. maybe his last one last yeah, big surely. tournament hipster's favourite Lionel Messi yeah <laughs> tick that box so that works uh, we did a bit of that as well uh, just going back to the Nations League if I can just regress which some would agree is the right term <laughs> Germany are in the group as uh, same group as England but struggling but England have actually been relegated already mm. and I, I did admire the kind of narrative that if you're relegated from your group in the Nations League that is really bad you know like club football if you're relegated it really hurts and I'm like I don't know if it really does. It doesn't matter. You just play some different countries next time who might not be quite as good, but it doesn't really matter. But then maybe that's all club football is. I don't know. Does it really hurt getting relegated from the Nations League? Feels like you're living something out live on the podcast now. Like it's a sort of, yeah. you're, you're exercising relegation demons. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about have it Have you like come that, to terms with it? No, no. Yo-yoing. As, as a Norwich fan, do you, do you have a <laughs> like... Why are we talking about Norwich? <laughs> well, because no, I'm interested because it, it's, it's such a, like, the existence. Yes. It, it always seems like you're in a state, like, of great happiness or great doom. 
do you ever have a, like a neutral setting? Well, never too high and never too low. That's it. Do you ever, the summer is for that, The summer would be, yeah. Maybe but then see. they do transfer windows. I'm supposed to know what's going on. And I'm like, I don't care. I do care. But yeah, it's, uh, it's more everyone else. Everyone else is so happy to speak to you all the time when everything's going so well. And also claim the credit because everything's going so well. We did it all. And then everything goes wrong and no one wants to talk to you. And everyone's like, well, it wasn't anything to do with anything we did. We just had some injuries. So yeah, it's just this continuing to accept. Group therapy session. Anyway. Relegation in the Nations <laughs> League isn't that bad, then is it? England don't care. You got asked Declan the asking, revenue they're going to lose. No, out. Just asking Declan Rice, you know, you know, it's not, you know, it's really bad, isn't it being relegated? He's like, I don't care. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that if you win the nations, your Nations League group, and then the playoffs, you get automatic entry to a competition? Yeah, I think so. That's surely right. it's beneficial to get relegated from a higher group to a lower group. Ah, oh, just like relegation to the Championship. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone fully understands the Nation League yet. Nations League. I, I love the idea of it though I love the concept I don't, I don't hate it like I, I really like some of the fixtures it throws up it's not the England ones because England play games against teams that beat them and then we have what's going on at the moment and it's a little bit tedious but there's some great games I mean it, it does create watchable football which was the whole point rather than kind of death by friendly yes. is it Kevin De Bruyne though who said I'm bored of playing against <laughs> Wales because it yeah, does feel yeah. as though they have Wales in every group and it, I think Scotland went through a phase of playing Israel in every group as well and I wonder whether or not like stratifying leagues according to level means that you just end up with the same teams playing each other over and over again so one for the Nations League legacy committee <laughs> to figure out uh, Italy beat England and they're looking good for the World Cup uh. <laughs> no really weird that but that, that's probably all we can say on that I, Go on, Seb. It just, the response, it feels a little bit laboured. I don't really understand. Okay, when, when you've got a couple of important players who are out of form in your international squad and you've got a World Cup on the horizon, the European Championship, I understand making exceptions. You know, like you've got an out of form Messi. Yeah, we'll probably take him just in case and the hand luggage. But England have got like seven players like that. I'm not sure I kind of land on either side of the, the Southgate fence. I'm not sort of hugely for or hugely against. I don't want him sacked or fired into the sun or I don't think he should be given contract for life. But it seems to me like if you pick a lot of players who aren't playing and those players aren't top of their class position-wise, you're going to get criticised for it. And everywhere you look in this England team, there are players who either aren't playing or who are out of form or whose teams are badly out of form. So you, even someone like Declan Rice, not a bad season. West Ham are having a bad season. So he's part of that. Luke Shaw, can't even remember when he last played. Harry Maguire, same thing. It's it's just a weird position to put yourself into. Like Calvin Phillips was selected. I quite like him as a player, but how many minutes has he played this, this year? 14 competitive minutes. Can't. It's just, there isn't an argument for trust in that situation. Like if a player hasn't played for what would have been months ahead of that World Cup, you, you, you can't do it. It's very strange. It's like you're knowing everything that Gareth Southgate does about the English media and the way that English media jumps on any kind of negative performance. You're kind of asking for it, like ahead of a World Cup. It's it's very strange. There you go, Gareth. You are asking for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the US are a bit worried because they lost to Japan. And they thought they were going to be really good. And now they've lost a friendly to Japan. And the World Cup is in tatters. <laughs> Not the trophy, just the preparations. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. It's funny, we were talking before we came on air about the, the fact that we apply sort of domestic criteria about football onto the international game. And yeah, that, obviously the, the, the US sort of hype the, the, the World Cup every time and they're, it's a matter of when, not if, that they're going to have a good World Cup competition, right? But it does feel as though they overhype the team going into it and then something happens and then they panic. Um, but they, they all seem to scrape through the qualifying against teams that I don't think are necessarily like the top echelon of, of international football. And then they've come up against Japan, who, you know, traditionally been quite a good side, regardless of how you think they currently are. And yeah, they've they've lost. And uh, so the big question is like, is, that, is it portent disaster in the World Cup? In, Josh, in Josh Sargent, they trust. Hey, intensity in that Japan game was concerning for like the US. Like I, the caliber of performance, that's um, up to the individual fan to judge. But like the golf in application between those two sides was worrying hard to understand I haven't, I haven't read an explanation this, for it this is kind of my point like how do you read into yeah. a random game three months before the yeah, tournament yeah it's hard it's not three months week, week, a week month. they'll have a week together before the tournament just iron out a few things run around a bit more I, I think this is one of the confusing things about international football because if you look back at like that England game at Molyneux and they lost to Hungary obviously England shouldn't be losing that game by that margin or playing that badly but at the same time end of the domestic season like what's the right context as a 
well, I have to imagine there's a fleet of jets roars overhead. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should um, probably mention there are there are some like, road works, building like a, works. Like an they Apache might helicopter. Through. I don't know. <laughs> it's coming through the roof. Yeah, yeah it's, so that's interesting. <laughs> if you're enjoying that, be thankful it's only for an hour or however long you've chosen to listen. Uh, last international break mentioned, Erling Haaland scored. Yes. Uh, obviously. Shocker. It was for Norway though. So And they lost, but he scored. He, he scores score. in every game he plays in. So yeah. everyone else around him let him down. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So good luck to Norway with whatever happens next. Uh, I've got written here break. So uh, let's have a little break. This is Ian Irving, host of Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic. After what's felt like an eternity without Premier League football, it's back with a bang for United this weekend with the Manchester derby taking top billing. Join myself, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week as we build up to what's probably the toughest test yet of United's newfound optimism under Eric Ten Hag. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to click follow and subscribe for access to all our episodes. Welcome back. We can talk about some football forthcoming, forthwith, which is very exciting because the Premier League is back this weekend. And oh, oh, some belters, both derbies coming up. There is the Manchester derby, which is on the Sunday at 2pm at Old Trafford. The Sunday. A, the Sunday. The, the, the Sunday. Sunday. Well, it will be the Super Sunday, yeah, maybe, okay. or some, some such. All oh, Sundays are super now, though, according to Sky. Well, that's, that's lazy. 2pm, obviously, GMT, <laughs> British Sunday. BST. No, BST, thank you, John. Yeah. Uh, so that's then. And then the North London derby will have already happened by them because that's on Saturday at 12.30, BST. That's at the Emirates. So I've, I've merged those two topics horrifically. So what, <laughs> let's talk about the Manchester derby first because that happens afterwards, obviously. Very exciting. Old Trafford. I did work out. Uh, Man United have only won two of the last 11 derbies against Man City at Old Trafford. So, mm. I mean, that's not very good. <laughs> but uh, what, what's, the, what's the exciting bit about this one, John? Yeah, Help I think for out. me, the, the, obviously everyone's a little bit higher on Manchester United than they were after the first couple very of games. High. But it's, it's probably the case that Manchester United have gone from arguably underperforming in those two games, maybe underperforming is, is poor, but being bad in those two games, to maybe overperforming a little bit in the run afterwards. Um, so, for example, the, the game against Arsenal, I think could have gone either way. I think both teams played pretty well. And so, yeah, you've also got a Manchester City side who everyone touts as winning the league by whatever, August or whatever it is, but they've they've not been quite so good. October. October, yes. World Cup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they've obviously not been performing to the level that people have expected from them. So I expect there's a lot of people out there who probably think that Manchester United are in with a decent chance here. But it's, it, I think it'll be a good bellwether to see just quite the level that they're at. I think that in terms of the tactics, this is a sort of... Manchester United, I think, will be okay against the top four sides because they can do what they did against Arsenal, which is defend well, but always have the opportunity to hit them on the break. And, you know, Manchester City are always the... I'm sure I've said Manchester United and Manchester City the wrong way. Oh, no, it's fine. Just you know what I mean? They, the Manchester clubs. Yeah, Manchester City were, are always open on the break and Manchester United probably play their best football on the break. So could we see something from that? Maybe. Don't United fans not like them playing on the break? I thought that was one of yeah. the... Yeah. I mean, well, they seemed pretty happy when they beat Arsenal playing on the break so maybe it's yeah why not yeah. that was the last time they played in the Premier League Seb against Arsenal on September the 4th that feels absolutely ridiculous but you're right crazy so we don't know how good they are now because it was no. so long ago where's the momentum it's not international football, I think Liverpool are actually by the time Liverpool play again it'll have been a month since they last played a Premier League game I think that's right wow. don't shout at me if I'm wrong about that but. and they'll, then they'll just complain about fixture congestion <laughs> won't they maybe, there we go maybe. I feel like we need to balance this rather than just talk about United so City they're good Erling Haaland, he must be on like 43 goals. Something like that, monster boy. Yeah, he's... Erling Haaland is Erling Haaland. I think we, like, we've covered him enough and I mean, nobody is. I don't is. think we've covered him enough. Let's right? keep yeah, covering him. About him more I think I've got my uh, Erling oh, Haaland. There it is. There he is. There it is. Lovely. Termin, go Termin. Erling. Hey, yeah. Go real life. For a prescient t-shirt, that. Lovely. I mean, I, I haven't paid as much attention to Man City as... John and JJ have on the RL channel but I feel like I'm watching two different teams I'm watching something really interesting take shape when they have the ball and team maybe who are slightly looser without it I don't know if that's fair or if I'm watching it wrong tell me John yeah I don't know the, the funny thing about Pep Guardiola is that he's a manager who just stresses about defending transitions right mm -hmm. a lot of those elite teams managers are because they control possession and they've sort of 
solved possession in that sense but they are always open for that for that attack on the break so this will be a really interesting game from from that point of view I think I think City are good this season I think City are good every season and I think they're always the favourites to win the league I think they might be quite a good team I think they might be quite good they they could win the league I think they definitely they you know they had chance at the start of the season Mm. they've still got a chance now you know what you know what is interesting about them is that when uh, when Erling Holland signed I had a picture in my mind of the type of goal he would score a lot of and as it turns out not so much really like his the types of runs that it feels a little bit like they've adapted a bit more around him than i was expecting i thought he would be you know we earlier we talked about kind of um Lewandowski's scoring positions at Bayern. i kind of imagined that to be him and that you would see a sort of a a slightly narrow focus to him like a, more of a, a purely penalty box player like a, a brissy dormand he, he wasn't a penalty box player really he scored goals in the penalty box but he contributed elsewhere too and I, I guess I'm surprised at kind of the breadth of his attacking contribution and the kind of the way it looks with him in that side. That's, that's interesting. I, I, I love watching him. I know it's not a particularly original observation, but I love watching a player who surprises me and who does new stuff and who, who reveals new strengths and new areas of supremacy like uh, against defenders. I, it's fascinating. And he's just ridiculous as a footballer. Lisandro Martinez, John, could he be the centre-back to stop Haaland with his Haaland Haaland with his with a Norwegian pronunciation with his shortness I didn't get the joke out no one can defend (laughs) no someone must be able to okay so the the defender who I've seen do the best job against Erling Haaland is Nico Schlotterbeck last season for Freiburg and he's obviously moved on to it's a little bit of Freiburg bias on your part I did watch I I did watch all of their games last season so I, I got to see him playing a lot but and yet he was the player who was brought on to mark Holland when Dortmund were playing against Man City and then Erling Holland scores that ridiculous goal at the back post to I think put them ahead was it the one that won it for them yeah so yeah I think that's the that's the mantra right you you can be good at marking Erling Holland but that doesn't mean that you're always going to stop him from from scoring now I think a lot of people have mentioned that when Ajax played against Dortmund in the Champions League last season that Lisandro Martinez did a good job of marking a number did he yeah, do a number but already? I've also heard people say that that's actually not true and the goals that were scored he was nowhere to be seen I've not watched the game back recently so I wouldn't like to state my life on it but I think that Erling Haaland when you're defending him you have to be super positionally aware it's if you're trying to go up against him in a physical 1v1 you're never going to do it especially if you're Lisandro Martinez but I think that you can if you can read the game well if you can get into situations where you can stop him from getting into situations where he scores so if you read yeah if you basically if you're good at, at, at the positional side of defending then you have a chance but even then it's still mm. inshallah there you go Lissandra uh, that's your that's your to framework <laughs> whatever pray coaching, to the gods coaching so we've decided that there's a game in Manchester that's good there's also a game in North London where I, I feel like Arsenal Spurs is a game I've kind of been looking forward to since the start of the season because they're both in the same space. I don't, well, I do mean geographically, but football-wise too, both, Seb. Yeah, I feel like form-wise they're in slightly different spaces. I think Arsenal have been playing that Man United game aside, although they, they, they played well at Old Trafford. They've been playing ever so well and are probably the form team in the league. Spurs winning, but not with any kind of flourish or flair. Like it's been fairly pragmatic and actually there's been a little bit of stad padding. Padding? Stad pad? Stat padding? <laughs> What's this? Stat padding? Stad padding. That could have got very awkward with some strange words. Please don't stad pat me. No, I please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving away. training yeah. technique. We're going to, s- yes, carry on. There's been a bit stat of padding. stat padding. Yeah. <laughs> with all those stats. Which has masked a few issues like fluency issues and a little bit of uh, chance creation issues so I don't know I I still don't really know what Tottenham are I I feel like I've got a good sense for what Arsenal are going to be and I think that we've seen a fair reflection of them so far and I think Gabriel Jesus has added actually far more than I thought he would in terms of what he's not only been able to 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 provide on a singular basis but also what he's enabled other players in that team to do like I think they just look more dangerous on mass and Arsenal now like you see the way they attack and when they have kind of territorial dominance there's a, a threat to them which I think last season could look a little bit sterile at times and just like possession for possession's sake like that old Wenger illness that people used to complain about with them whereas now yeah they're at lethal not looking forward to this at all I think it's one of those games where like you look at if you're trying to find an area of Tottenham advantage it's probably in their size they're a little bit of a roguish team 
there's some nasty characters there. Like, I feel like if nothing else at all this season, they've shown that they can get results and they can get results. Well, that's results. quite handy. And also, it is. Like, you know, Spurs fans must be like, yeah, look at this, Spursy, not anymore. Look I, at us. Yeah but, I th- yeah, but this is the thing. Like, if you look at this game historically, I think a lot of Tottenham fans would say that the one thing they want from their team is show up like show that you're actually in the game rather than just roll over rolled over last year in this game if you take the last 20 at the emirates quite a few of them fall into that category they turn up they wait for something to happen and they respond to it late in the game and that's just not going to be good enough also another big factor i think previous years you could say right go there and shut the game down 45 minutes and wait for the crowd to turn on that team that's not going to happen this year because it's completely different the atmosphere in which arsenal are playing is a huge part of what's making them what they are at the moment and so you can't just instead of waiting for the kind of the anxiety to leak out of the stands you're just going to experience a kind of a swell of momentum against you and i think that's pretty dangerous also apparently hugh Lloris might miss this game for spurs which is when fraser forster is your backup goalkeeper probably not a good thing not a bad goalkeeper but norwich don't know city lone legend fraser forster there we go <laughs> um yeah Lloris has a small injury to right thigh nice nice research. very comprehensive told me uh, not much more. Arsenal already have bragging rights because the women uh, beat Tottenham 4-0 on Saturday in front of 47,000 plus people. So they're on for a double. Wasn't it about 51,000 in the end or something like that? Or Maybe was, they just broke in. It was amazing. I saw some pictures of it. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, the the Liverpool-Everton game in the WSL was really well attended as well. Brilliant. Nice That's really good. Nice Capitalising on what happened. Yeah, exactly. That's really good. It's really, Love really that. good. Um, okay, I think that does... Oh, anything, I'm going to get to do you want, about Arsenal Do you want to? Do you want to talk well, I was going to say this is going to be an aesthetic battle, I think, because no. like you know, man, like Arsenal, Arsenal and Spurs are very close in terms of points, right? It's like one or two points in it, and everyone is saying Arsenal playing incredibly nice football, p- playing incredibly dangerous football, and Spurs, as you've said, everyone's like this is turgid, bit We're stodgy, grinding things out yeah. and winning, and that's the that's the big battle, isn't it? People are like, well, you know, that's the sign of a sign of a good side if they're grinding out results, but I think this one will really come down to you, you know that it's going to be it's it, it, whichever way it goes people will say ah we've said that this was the case and this wasn't but I feel as though it's on a knife edge I think it could go either way it could be very similar to the Manchester United game which is both teams playing well in the way that they play and it coming down one way or the other and then people responding to it based on the result and saying well you know Arsenal can't beat the big sides but if Arsenal beat Spurs then will the narrative swing back to you know Arsenal really going to be title contenders this season etc so I think it's going to be a fun game it's going to be I think like a really finely balanced game with two very different styles of, of play you know what's interesting like Spurs when they haven't been playing well and when people got edgy around them about when they when they cede possession or territory like thing they're saving grace has been they're not giving up shots in good areas like they give up chances but low percentage chances now like to me Arsenal are really well equipped to create good chances um, with some of the players in that forward line there's kind of there's some artistry there there's players who can scheme in really dangerous ways but also forwards like I think one of the things that's impressed me about Jesus is his movement in the box, like his ability to receive the ball in the box. And that, to me, that feels like a, that's pretty well aligned with the Spurs' vulnerability at the moment. So, yeah, dangerous times. Hurrah! Will, you be, doing, will you be doing one of those videos where we say we were right in post-event? I will not, because I'm going on annual leave at the end of this oh, week, goodness, so I really? shall not be thinking about football oh, that's for Joe's 10 problem. days. Not mine. <laughs> Who signed that off? Well, I, hope someone, <laughs> I hope someone does that video. It'll be great. Someone That'll be a JJ Bull double, I think, over the weekend. I think you've all missed JJ. He's on his way. Uh, right, let's have a we, we, yeah game in London. That will happen. It's exciting. Game in Manchester. What, what a weekend! You, oh, you you don't know how to finish the podcast, do you? Well, we've funny. got loads you're kind of, to go. You're in this yet, perpetual so loop. Ages. Okay, this is just right. a bit before the break. Okay, okay. Which is going to be now. Well, that was the break. Hope you all enjoyed the lovely break. Well, we're going to stop off now in Syria, where I, I mean, I think Napoli look fun, but John, you think Syria looks fun all across the board I think so yeah that's nice last season it was the the, the battle of the the Milan teams for the for the title and I feel as though a, a few other teams have thrown themselves into the mix um, namely in the form of as you've said Napoli Roma have got good underlying numbers under Jose Mourinho but we've also got a few other fun teams in so far as Udinese like have, have just really come out of the blocks really well uh, Atalanta are up there although I, they did get a bit of a lucky result against Roma so I'm not sure how sustainable that'll be but um, Juventus are not performing well and yeah Inter are struggling a little bit as well so it's just meant that there's like a really nice compression at the top of Serie A at the moment I mean Napoli weren't bad last year no but they said they felt a little bit maybe inconsistent 
consistent, which I think is probably true of a lot of the teams in that group that I've just mentioned, but that's probably what makes for competitive balance, right? Like lack of consistency across the top teams. Failure. Failure of others. We're so used to Man City, right? And or Liverpool being in that headspace where they just win everything. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's been league titles in the Premier League decided like really, really early on and then no one's dropped points. Are, are you team. trying to say the Premier League's not competitive, John? No, I think it is competitive, but I think it's more interesting when teams have that, that frailty whereby you don't actually know they're going to win. Every, like, Man City aren't going to win all of their games apart from when there's a massive upset whereas I think in these in this league you're not expecting every team to win every game in yeah. the same way love it uh, Giacomo Raspadori I cannot roll my R's scored a <laughs> lovely goal against England so he, he looks like a nice player floating around in Napoli <laughs> he says and then deep breath obviously lots of talk about Kavica Kavaratshelia is that oh, right done oh, pretty that, good. Was, that is a pretty good effort it's very, a whole you, train journey to Norwich I've been practicing that and lots of talk about him being awesome just call him Kavara he says so I will now I, I, I think what's interesting about him is that back Eventually in the day went with him then yeah, yeah. I, I, what's I, interesting I, about him him that dribbly boy dribbly boy that's what you had to call him JJ Bull tribute lovely before the internet you'd find out about transfer just by seeing a player on the pitch right like or they turn up on CFAX and be like oh your team has signed this guy from this place and you'd never have seen him because unless he played in Serie A where there would be you know there was coverage on Channel 4 or the occasional you know whatever same way um, for the head coach sometimes or manager absolutely <laughs> absolutely player? well Arsene Wenger is a good example of that no one you know remembered anything that happened in Monaco when he was just a guy from Japan he has this guy what a, what a wonderful footballer every time I watch him I said it earlier a little bit about Erling Holland that you, you discover something new about him every time you, you watch him play it. And the same is true because I'd never heard his name until about six months ago. And he turns up and he plays like he's been in a major European league for five years. And he plays this incredible expression. And there's something slightly, and I mean this in a good way, something slightly amateurish about his style. There's none of that sort of big club academy refinement and gloss that you sometimes get, which can occasionally make players look identical to one another. Like you, you see the same technical traits again and again and again. This guy, not at all. And he's fascinating. I, I can't remember another example. I'm, I'm very happy to be to be corrected. I can't think of another person who's had the same kind of impact having come from almost nowhere, come directly from Georgian football, if, if I'm right. I think he came from Russia, maybe. He came from um, the Dynamo Batumi. Is that in Georgia now? Uh, maybe. He was in Russia in for a little okay. while. Maybe. So you, your direct line, you don't have a soft landing somewhere. You don't go, say, to a like a you know mid-level French club and then you graduate up to the top of Italian football or you don't go to a, I don't know, a German club and then take us up. You just go directly in there and you capture the content's imagination immediately. And that is a that Napoli team is just fun. It's loaded with fun players. Osman is is a, I think like one day it's going to be a sort of 150 million pound player uh, eventually. Or Euros would probably be the more valuable currency at the moment, unfortunately. Um, Fredos. Fredos. Fredo, Fredos, yeah. yes. That's a lot of Fredos. Yeah, yeah. I can't even work out on the, no. off the top of my head. One for next week, John. <laughs> just fun. Like Also, like just take advantage of the opportunity to watch someone like this at the moment. Don't worry about what he's going to be or how he's going to cost or where he's going to go or like is he connected to this? Just watch him play football. It's just fun. And I guess that, like for me, it probably was the game against Liverpool. We're just watching them tear them apart in the Champions League. It's like, oh, wow, this is, this is another level. And, and for every, all the talk about Liverpool being a bit all over the place, just what Napoli were doing was like, I would watch this every week. Yeah, I think he's, he's a really raw player, I think. I That's the right word. Say. That's the word I was searching for, yeah. Um, and he's the sort of player who is able to cause problems by just sheer physicality almost, rather than like, I think, any sort of real technical ability on the dribble. But yeah, super fun player. And yeah, he was at Ruben Kazan for three seasons, went back to Georgia very right. briefly. There you go, John. And there then, you go. And then, so we I were was, both right. We were both right. Everyone Do we right. have a correct pronunciation? Because I want to I get the name right when I say it. Well, I did look a lot into this, and I, so I, I. But John, you can say so, it effortlessly. My cheat, my I'm like, cheat hang on. Sheet, my cheat sheet is: if you say creature, like you're a, like you're English creature, like a creature, creature of the all creatures of our God and King. Got you. The word um, creature. creature. Yes. And creature. then you say it's weird because both names start with K. Right. But the first yes. one is 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 sort of pronounced 
creature. creature. Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah. If you want to do that, you it's can a do lovely that. Lovely sound. The second one sounds more like a G to me, so it's almost like creature Gavarichkelia. That's how I've heard it. Creature Gavarichkelia. Again, now you've okay. done it so effortlessly. <laughs> so you know, there's no, there's no easy way of saying it. If you pronounced it, you have pronounced in, it wrong. In his own words, okay. just call me Kavara. That's yeah. what he said. I nice. say, so just do that because the man himself said. Watch him. So there we go. Okay, we've got a little bit of time for EFL news because Watford have sacked Rob Edwards. That's it. Sacked Rob Edwards. Is that is that a big? Fortunately, big Norwich news. aren't playing them next, which is normally the case. Big news in the, the championship. Well, you, you you deliberately go and get someone from Forest Green who's been there for years and give him his big opportunity. And then you this give is him the time six you're weeks. Spend time. Mm. This is the time it's going to be different. And then you give him until September. Then you bring in Slaven Bilic. Nothing's changed. Mm. So that's I exciting. Did read a few people on my Twitter timeline. What for fans talking about how kind of disenfranchised they feel from the club at the moment, which is never good. So people say these things. Some at Norwich say those things. Okay. What's the TLDR of the championship? right now like who's who's everyone saying is going to go up and well Sheffield United look good it's all about the teams with parachute payments um, and the championship standard below the parachute payments is have Norwich got infinite parachute payments now do they just, just gone they've been promoted twice in the last four years but the first time they didn't have parachute payments when they went up but the gap between the championship and the premier league is vast and no one's really so we we can include like norwich as a de facto premier league side then in terms of the money would you say uh well they don't have any owners with any money well that's true so but no. you're saying the gap between the premier league but with the parachute par- payments thrown in that presumably adds another layer so there's like almost like a stepping stone to the premier yeah, league yeah it's the you, middle bit yeah um and you know some people are happy and some people aren't but again we're talking too much about norwich stop getting me in trouble because i think you might get me in trouble um but there we go that's the efl bulletin brought to you by me um you look like a very jaded man every time we talk about norwich it's weird is it yeah it's the weird. energy it, is so much how you just you just you just look like you've gone somewhere quite dark <laughs> seven games unbeaten second in the championship i am loving life um, <laughs> so much so that I should probably get back to it we should probably end the podcast um, so I think we're done uh, thank you very much John mm, thank you it's been great having you on and uh, may, may it long continue you're very kind thank yeah. you John take that Seb hi Michael thanks, thanks so much for very, coming very all welcome. the way from Germany just for me to host just this I'm literally going to go back right now good well safe trip um i'll probably get back to norwich after you still uh thank you very much to producer craig who's over there i think he could do a hand wave but it won't be in any shot or he's waving best beard i've ever seen uh thank you very much to sean thorne who is is that a real name it is yeah excellent he is an audio editor a brackets freelance which just seems like an important detail mm, yeah sean is editing my podcast which is coming Ooh. out this week actually nice one sean eight episodes of a special podcast episode coming out on the tifo rss feed so if people are listening to this podcast then it will drop into their rss feed if they're watching on youtube some of them will be on youtube but if you want to get all eight sign up to the what RSS will that podcast feed. series involve john it is me talking to people within the industry mainly about tactics but some not about tactics some about the world cup as well but yeah long form Talking Heads podcasts well, that go a little bit more exciting. Easy. Absolutely lovely and well done for shoehorning the yeah, plug-in, although it did kind of distract from Sean Thorne's thanks for editing, but I'm sure he's done a great no, job. This is all down to Sean Thorne. Is Sean he's leaving this in? This is the problem. Yeah, who knows? Well, <laughs> please leave this in, Sean Thorne. There we go. Uh, we'll Shoe- be back. Sean Thorne it in. Shoehorn to Sean Thorne. I feel like you're dragging it out now. Uh, we'll be back next week, or Joe will be. I won't be. I might be back in October if this has gone well. If I'm not back at the end of October, you'll know it hasn't. That's fine. It's still been lovely. So thank you, everyone. Uh, goodbye!